and uh, we have some minutes left. And so over the last week, I've collected some questions from different people and from some books that you've uh, put out. Uh, I have some questions too. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start real deep. All right. Why are the Yankees always so good? <laughs> well, because you play in New York, you know. I mean, I mean, I think the reason why they're so good because they, they're a great system. They have a great system, like a farm system. They run it right, and they draft uh, good, good players. Mm. I think that's important. You can't just draft a player just to be drafting and saying, well, I hope. I think they draft players that have a lot of talent. Mm. But what they do is, is they develop their talent. Mm. And I, I think that's what makes them separated from so many other teams. All right, we'll go a little bit deeper. Okay. All right. <laughs> In your 17 years of playing, which is remarkable, 17 years, is, is there one player that just stands out to you as being a guy who you look back and think, I would like to be like that guy, or he was just a role model for you? Who was that guy and why? Yeah, that was, um, that was my teammate Gary Carter. Hmm. Um, Everybody saw him as this guy that had such, he had a smile that you just couldn't never imagine. Mm. And it was like, well, why is he always happy? Mm. Nobody can be happy in this life because there's so much pressure and demand on you. But he was always that person, happy, consistent, joy, joyful, never condemned anybody. He would go out with us and go to dinner with us. And then after that, we were all headed to the clubs and strip clubs and he was like, I'll see you guys tomorrow at the ballpark. And he had this big smile on his face, and everybody thought, oh, he, oh he's so fake and phony. It was because he loved Jesus. Mm. And we all realized that he died at the age of 57, and players went on the air, and they were crying because we realized how great he really was. Tell, tell he, the story about Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench. That's amazing. Yeah, Johnny Bench spoke at his memorial, you know, and Johnny Bench said, Gary always wanted to be like me, and, you know, I was this great catcher, Hall of Fame, and. And he said, Gary always wanted to be like me. And he said, I wish I would have been like Gary, have one wife and one family. That's what Johnny Ben said. Well, so it was, it was an example of how a man's supposed to live his life. What we really, I mean, he was the prime, prime example. I said, I wanted what he had. I was wondering, I just like, oh man, I want that so much. You know, because it was free. He wasn't fake, he wasn't phony. He just loved people and he just cared. But he was free, you know, because of his walk with God. It was just, it was incredible. I mean, he was at the height of his career. He went on to be a Hall of Famer. He was rich. He had everything, had big homes and everything. But that wasn't what had him. What had him was his freedom mm. of who he was and the way he loved people and the way he looked at people and saw people. And that's what was really important. That's what Christ looks like. That's the attraction of Christ when you can look at people that are hurting. Because Gary looked at me and I was hurting. And he says, God's going to use you one day. He said, it's never going to be about baseball, but he says, God's going to use you. He says, because of the heart that you have. That's amazing. And it's amazing when, when people tell you that and, and, and it come to pass, and that's what happened. And your mom said that to you, too. Oh, my mom said, I prayed one time, and she said, mm, the Lord just spoke to me. <laughs> she was good at that. I mean, she was like, she said, my mom said, you are going to go through it. Well, she said, God said he's going to get it out of you. So I'm telling every mother in here and every mother in here that's with addiction problem and your kids, you just keep praying over them. 
All right? It's not up to you to see it and every other mother in here. It's not, it may not be up to you to see it. You just keep praying because my mother laid on her face and prayed for all of us. I ended up leading my whole family to the Lord. So that's important for us to know. And, and, and for, us to, for us as a dad, you gotta, as a man, we, we, we have to take our rightful place. You know, God's calling us to take our rightful place. My kids don't see me as a baseball player. People be like, your dad was a great baseball player. They go, nah, he's a preacher. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the example that God gives us to leave for our kids. You know, we, we get to live a right life as a man with the principles, and our kids are watching. As a man, I'm telling you, your kids are watching. You know, when I was out there drinking and boozing, my kids, my kids went through some hard times. But when I got saved and got well, my kids are really enjoying life now today because I'm a different person. Mm-hmm. So I'm just telling you guys, as a man in here too, you, you got responsibilities. You know, God called, God challenged me. I, God says, when are you going to stop being a knucklehead and be the head? Mm-hmm. And I finally answered the call and became the head, and now you get to stand the right way and live the right way and help your kids grow. Because if you don't, somebody's going to snatch them, the enemy's going to snatch them, and he's going to lead them down the wrong road. We were talking about your mom, Ruby. She didn't force the truth on you. She, she uh, spoke the truth to you. She lived the truth before you, but she didn't force it on you. Talk about what that means, not to force it on you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so important. You know, it's so important not to force, you know, God's way on anybody. It's, it's just... It's just live it, you know, live it out yourself. And my mom was a prime example for us. My mom was this big, you know, little, little bitty thing. You know, you come in, I come into that house thinking I'm a big time shot baseball player with my hat on. She said, boy, if you don't take that hat off your head, I'm going to knock it off your head. <laughs> talk about it. Talk about her. Like yeah. That. And then she's like, you, you know, something, something slick come out of my mouth. She was like, pop me in my mouth. And it's like, but we had nothing. But she taught us those things. I think that's what, what brings us all the way back to where I'm at today is because of her teaching. She raised five of us by herself. And her teaching was like, it wasn't beating anybody over the head. It was just being able to show the way she lived her life for Christ that it was a different way. That's a lesson for all of us as parents. Yes. It's the way we live. Stop trying, you know, stop, stop trying to tell the kids what they should do and we need to love them through the process. You know, because who are we? I think a lot of times, Pastor, what happens to us, we forget how bad we were. Mm. Don't go oh, there. some of y'all don't want to go there. I know. Don't go there. <laughs> but we forget that. We forget how we were. And, 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 you know, I was a train wreck. You know, I was a Major League Baseball player, very successful, but I was a complete train wreck. And my mama just looked at me, and she just used to shake her head. Just take... Take, take him off that high horse. Or take him off, and she prayed to God. God, knock him off his high horse throne, whatever you think he's on. Guess what? You know what? God knocked me off my high horse in the throne, too, because of Mama's prayers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm forever grateful for that woman. So um, another question out of the news from just a couple weeks ago. A good friend of yours, uh, Dwight Doc Gooden. And you can say whatever you feel comfortable saying, but... We all read the news. A lot of us know the history. You guys were very, you guys were joined at the hip. You were close. How's he doing? And he's struggling. Addiction is real, you know. And it's been a long struggle. And 
you know, people are questioning, you know, you, you go to the headlines and, you know, they're saying, well, when is he going to get it? And you just, well, you're not going to get it in, until you make a conscious decision that I have to do something different. I mean, I, you know, I love him and, you know, when his first arrest and he got arrested with possession, I've been there. Um, I went over to see him and talked to him and I said, man, I love you, man. And I said, God loves you, man. And I said, you got to do something different, mm. you know, here. And two days later, he was arrested again, driving down the wrong street and hitting parked cars, you know. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you keep loving people right where they're at. You don't give up on them, you know, that's no right. matter what, you know. And, right. and I think that's the whole key right there, you know. Uh, well, whether you're, whether you're a parent, whether you're a parent or a friend, you keep that relational door open. Yes, you have, especially as a parent, you know, your parent, you know, we, we think, you know, um, when our kids go wrong and, and something's happened, you, you have to understand today the kids are living in a different generation. They're not living in your generation. They're not, they are antisocial. They are computer savvy, you know. They, uh, they, their IQs are off the chart, and they think, what do you know? <laughs> That's the reality of it, but we have to be able to, we, we have to be able to relate to them. See, I get to go into schools and speak to kids, you know, and, and, and when I have conversation, I say, what's the number one important thing? They say, social media. I say, what's the number two important thing? Being liked on social media. They're real. You know, and they're telling you what's real, and you got to be able to, you got to be able to relate to that. We can't tell them, well, this is not good, this is not, they're not going to hear that, you know, and I think that's what's happened to so many young people today, when you try to tell them this is not good, that's not good, they, they respond in such a different way because they get all the answers from social media. Because I asked them, I asked them what, why are young 15-year-olds, why are they vaping? I said, I said, why you guys are vaping so much in, in school and everything? What's the deal with all that? They said, because we see celebrities on Instagram. So they, 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 they follow what they see, you know, and, and, and we have to be able to love them right through this whole process. I think we want to try to fix that process, but we can't. We have to love them through that process and, and don't hammer on them so much because they get all the information from, they get all the information from social media. They get all the information from, kids told me they, get, they, they find drug parties, they find everything online. And they said some parents uh, have parties at the house for the kids so they can have more friends. And they bring alcohol and let them do whatever they want. Mm. And some of you parents, are, Wherever you are, you need to stop that because you're not helping them with that to make them be more acceptable you know, from other people because they end up, what happens is kids end up starting to smoke marijuana at the age of 14, 15 years old. Now they get addicted. Now their mind gets altered and changed. Now they become different because that's what happened to me. So marijuana is a drug. I don't care what. I don't care what a society is saying about it. It's, it's, a, it's, a gateway. it's a gateway to getting our young people, and that's how they get started, and they go off from there, and then marijuana stops working, then they go into a whole new phase of life of using drugs. Another question. Um, you were on Celebrity Apprentice, so what's Donald Trump like? <laughs> oh, that's uh, a good one, huh? But no, no, actually, you, you withdrew yourself from the show. Yeah. Tell us why. Well, it had nothing to do with him. Trump's a good friend of mine. I've known him for a very long time in New York because of my time playing mm -hmm. him. And um, what he's like, he's, he's crazy. That's what he is. You know, he's a, <laughs> he, hey, a he, he'll president. be the first one to tell you. He knows he's crazy, you know. Yeah. And then, but um, 
But why'd you withdraw from the... Your, well, because your, your, yeah. I was on it, and I could have stayed on it, but it was, you know, I'm talking about my wife saying, when you live in a Christian life, behind the scenes were insane. You know, behind the scenes was a lot of alcohol, drinking, and there was a lot of, you know, back and forth nasty talks because you had to be... You had to be real crazy if you wanted to be on the show. You had to, you know, curse each other out and stuff like that. And I just didn't see myself doing that. And he was like, he was like, why are you leaving? I says, I just, I don't think this is for me. You know, mm. and, but he, but they, he invited me back and I ended up coming back and um, he gave me 25000 for my charity and Brett Michaels gave me 25000 for my charity because Brett won. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Um. I've heard you talk, and a lot of your life in addiction and in the in that valley time, you played the blame game. How does somebody escape the blame game? Well, I think you escape the blame game when you take full responsibility for your actions. Mm. You know, addicts they have to take responsibility no matter what. You can't look at somebody on self. Well, it's her fault, his fault. No, nobody ever told me to put a pipe to my mouth, but me. You know, and, and that's when I realized that I needed to grow up, you know, and, and I, I just remember one time Tracy picked me up from another drug run, and, and um, I'm sitting over there crying, oh, God, just kill me. And she was like, shut up! <laughs> I'm high as a kite. She's telling me to shut up. You need to grow up. I just lost my three kids, and I'm doing it. I'm clean. I don't, you need to take responsibility for your action. I was like, oh, my gosh, she's crazier than me. <laughs> but it was a real reality. You know, it was a real reality of shut up. Mm. Take responsibility. Mm. You know, that's how you get well. If you decide to step up and take responsibility. Stop blaming. We are, yes, we have a sickness, a problem, but I can't keep going on carrying this sickness and problem with me because what has happened today, and it breaks my heart, kids are not living past 1920. They're dying. And it's not a game. These are precious lives that God cares about. And it's up to us to help people get responsible. It's up to us as people, us that's living a healthy, strong life. We know God. We know we're living right. It's up to us to go back to, to them and, and love them and hug them, you know, and make them feel loved. Because it's, it's not about the drugs. It's about what they've been through. Mm. You know, and that's what it was for me, you know. It was what I had been through, and it was, it was Tracy loving me when I couldn't love myself. And it was her time to straighten me out. And it's so funny, a woman's here. God got a great sense of humor. <laughs> He'll put a woman in your life to straighten you out. <laughs> but you got to receive it. You know, that's the whole key is for, and all you that are in treatment, the people that are working, stop bucking the system, stop going against them. They're not your problem. Mm. They're there to help you. It's you receiving it. You got to receive the help. If you receive the help, then you can be restored. That's a good word. Yeah. So this is a question from your book. Your, your book says, the most common fear of a recovering addict is what am I going to do if I relapse? What do you say to someone who fears a relapse? Well, I've learned through the process relapse was part of my recovery. And guess what? I was chronic 
relapse. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I realized that I didn't have to relapse anymore. Mm. I realized that I didn't have to pick up anymore. And, and what I mean by that for them, you know, is, is, is Pastor, what they have to do is they have to get some real tools in their box. You know, they, you got to get some real tools in your box, you know, to, to keep you, why am I relapsing? Where am I going? Who am I hanging with? Who am I talking with? And a lot of times we're talking, people that get ready to go relapse is because they, the anxiety and the frustration of their own past or what they've done, the records of their past, they don't want to look at that, so they want to blame somebody else. We've got to stop with the blame game. You've got to look at this, the records of my past, and I've got to deal with it. Now I got to put some new tools in my box and I got to carry some tools, new tools with me. Just like I was saying, some of, them, some of you got to stop taking the elevator. The elevator gets you high as a kite because you go up too fast when the problem occurs. When the problem occurs, you need to learn to take the steps because the steps work. It's slower than the elevator. And we got to remember that when you're walking up. And that's how, that's how they get over Relapsing, you know, is, is, is I, if I'm going to take the elevator, I'm going to relapse. And if I start saying, well, F this and F that, that's relapse mode. I need to change my language of what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. And I need to say, well, you know what, I need to pick up this tool here, which is I need to call my sponsor. I need to call somebody or talk to somebody before I go out. Mm. You know. in, in your book, as you talk about relapsing, it's common for someone to think, God has given up on me. He has forsaken me. But that sounds like the blame game there. Blaming God for leaving. God, God has never Oh, my. He will never leave you. Everybody else is going to leave you. You've experienced yeah. that. People yeah, have abandoned I'm you. Gone. You know, everybody was gone when, when the party was over and the lights were out. Everybody was gone. They're going to leave you. But... God will never leave you nor forsake you. While everybody else is, you know, walking away, he's saying, come. That's what God says. He says, come here. Come to me. See, because he's the healer of all things. And all you got to do is learn to trust that process. And it's a process. It's not an overnight miracle. It's a process. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is so important. And it talks about trusting the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Mm. See, that's where you got to learn how to give your trust, not to man, not to stuff, but I need to give it to God and say, God, take this broken, up, broken piece of me and do what you need to do with it. See, when I finally came to the place with God, I laid on my face. And I just cried out to him. I said, I'm a sinner. I'm a filthy sinner. And I need a savior. And guess what? He answered that. He's just that simple. When I can finally admit who I am and not try to be someone else. Because, you know, we live in a society that want to make us believe we're all this in the bag of chips. It darn near killed me being all that in the bag of chips. So you don't have to be all that. All you have to do is just be you. You, you are unique. Is, is in your book, and I think this is common among recovery, uh, in recovery work, this, this phrase, when the pupil is ready, the teacher will appear. What, what does that mean? Is, is, can, can the teacher be a person, 
or um, is it maybe even the pain itself that you're going through? Can that no, I mean, the, the teacher is more of a person that, you know, that has, has had some type of experience in life and been down some dark road to be able to try to help you and lift you. The pupil you. has to be ready. Yeah, you have to be ready. That's the person. You have to be ready. Your heart has to be ready. You know? mm -hmm. Not your mind. You know, everybody thinks their mind have to be. It's, a, it's your heart that has to be ready. Mm. You know, and we got to get our heart ready. And when we get our heart ready, we can receive. Mm. You know, I think the mind just really destroys us the way we think, you know, because our thought process is always scrambled. Because my thought process was scrambled for so long, and it wasn't until my heart got right, and then I was, I was ready to receive. See, then when you, because you were talking about it earlier today, you know, faith come by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith come by hearing. Faith come by hearing. If I can't hear it, I can never get there. Right. You know, and, and that's what happens. You have to get the heart first before this gets together, because if you get that right, then I can receive. Mm. And I, I think that's what a lot of us struggle with. That's what I struggle with for so long. Your mom, um, in, in the book, you say your mom would say to, say to you, stay focused. What, what does that I mean, even today as you think about that, what, what does that mean to you, stay focused? And what does that mean to somebody going through recovery? Well, that means to stay, stay, really stay focused on you, not everything else. I think, I think so many of us get, like to get consumed with everything else. Uh, addicts know what I'm talking about. We're so, we so busy worrying about, about everybody else's problem except our own problem. You know, we, and, and staying focused is staying focused on you and why you're here. You know, I think that happens a lot in treatment. You know, when you get in treatment, you know, we get really complacent. You know, we start looking around and we start looking for somebody else to make me feel better. All I'm doing is fooling myself because I'm the person that's going to eventually make me feel better if I stay focused on the prize. Guess who the prize is? Me. You know, and that's what, that's what most of them struggle with is don't stay focused. They get into treatment and they start looking across the aisle and, oh, she looked good. Oh, he looked good. Oh, y'all need to quit. You're just in lust. You ain't in love. So just get over that and start thinking, you know, they need to get away from that. That's, that's the problem that lies in treatment with so many people. Because I did it, and I never got well. I'm sitting here talking about, oh, that girl looks great. She can film. She can bring me the promises. Oh, my God. Who are we kidding? <laughs> We're kidding ourselves, you know. So I, I just hope, that, I hope you guys... Get that tonight, some of you that were here tonight, and, you know, I saw a lot of ladies in there, and I, I, I just really want you, I really, I want you guys to know that, you know, God really loves you, you know, and you're precious to him, you know, and that life out there abused you and misused you, but God will love you more than you can ever imagine, ladies. Mm. Just know that. that. I was coming from a man that been out there, and I understand, you don't need to be out there. You need to cherish who you are and what you have and value who you are. Wow. We'll do, we'll do one, one last question. You, 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 at a point in your life, you surrendered your life to God. You, you put your faith in Jesus. And that's a one-time thing, but it's also an ongoing thing, surrendering to God. What does that look like in your life? Just... What did that look like when you surrendered your life to God, but what does it look like even now when you surrender your life to God? Oh, that's, that's a good question, yeah, you know. Because what does that look like when you first surrender? Well, when I first surrendered, 
I had nothing. I was $3 million in debt and didn't have a driver's license. So it wasn't about stuff. I also want to ask you how you get out of $3 million in debt, but I, we won't go there. <laughs> All right, go ahead. No, I mean, it, it's a surrender. It's a, it's a place that you come to where I'm going to surrender, and I'm going to follow these ways. And it wasn't overnight. God set me, set me down for seven years in the back of the church and say, get disciples. And I used to be in church, me and Tracy, and she wanted to hold my hand, and I was so frustrated, I just gave her my pinky. <laughs> and I used to be like, God, why are you always talking to Tracy? Because she was always happy. I come out downstairs morning, she'd be like, hi, hon. I'm like, who's she been with? <laughs> but the reality is, she had a relationship with God that I was yearning for, and I didn't know. But I saw it, and then I started, and I was saying, why are you always speaking to Tracy? Because he says, Tracy spends time with me. I wanted what she had, but she was spending time with God. She still do today. She rose out, 18 years later, she rose out of bed at 5.30 in the morning to go be with God every day. That's her relationship with him when it's quiet and nobody's up. She's just in there for it. And she has such a joy, and I wanted that. And he says, well, you're going to have to do what she's doing. I said, well, God, I'm not getting up at 5.30 every morning. <laughs> but I started getting with God late at night when she fell asleep. Then I started realizing why she was free, because she was getting with him. And it was her relationship with him. It's the personal relationship that brings us to the place of the freedom that we're looking for inside. It's the personal commitment, and you got to be consistent with it. If you're not consistent with it, you, you do yourself no good. You serve him no good if you're not consistent with spending the time with it. I love spending time. I just wake up every morning, and I, I put on my worship music, and I just love being with God. I don't love being turning on the television or looking at working on the cell phone or anything else, I loved entering in with God and, 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 and telling them, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for never giving up on me when I gave up on myself. The relationship, it's, it, that's, just, that's all he wants. And I, I realized that through my wife. I told you he got a great sense of humor. He made me learn from her what it is to love him. And... I'm crazy about Jesus. I don't want anything else, but I love Jesus. You can have everything else. You can keep the, the fame, the fortune, but give me Jesus. That's all I need every day. Thank you. Well, we could keep going, but we need to let these friends uh, go. Um, I do want to say before we pray, uh, please in the lobby, check out the different table displays, a lot of really good agencies, ministries who are there to help you, and I love that you don't advocate one over the other. It's just, just find a door and, and walk through it and watch them help you if you're open to it. We all know somebody who's going through this struggle, so please, just like Daryl said, be, be a help, love them, and walk with them, right? Yeah, yeah, just, just, just be a help. You know, people need help. They need us. Don't forget about anybody, because I can tell you one thing, all of you here tonight, 
God will never forget about you. Mm. Never. Had he forgotten about me, I wouldn't be standing here today. Mm. Um, there's nothing great about me. I've just become an epistle of Christ who loved Christ and followed the principles and mm. live according to his will. Well, thank you for sharing your life, the, uh, the dark side and the light side, and what God has done in your life, and we're really grateful. Uh, let's, let's, let's pray. Yeah. God, thank you for Daryl, and I do pray for him and Tracy that you will continue to lead them and guide them in their ministry as they help people um, discover your role in recovery. Thank you for all of the good agencies and ministries that are represented in the lobby and the yes. people here who just in their own way are helping someone along, God. Would you give us all the strength to come alongside people, to love people, to help them, that, God, you would, you would uh, um, just continue to bring healing from the inside out in the lives of those who are struggling this way. Yes, we thank you that you can do this, God. So we're grateful, God, uh, for this night and for each friend who's here. Uh, we're grateful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And let's thank Daryl, please. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks, man.